Welcome into another episode of the Muskets Year Report podcast. Rick, um, we already have Ming checking in from Hong Kong. Check that out. Driving to work. There we go. First Hello comment from in. Hong Kong. Good morning. Be careful, Ming. First of all, drive safely as you're listening to us. But basically what we're going to do here is take questions from you the entire time. So go ahead, start loading them up, whatever you want to ask about this Xavier basketball team, how practices have been going, whatever you want. Paul and I have been there every single day watching this team and getting ready for the season. So we're ready to talk some Xavier hoops with you guys. Paul, I think the first thing we can kind of break the ice with as people start to get their questions in here is the roster situation with this team. Because we're there every day. It feels like it's been set for us for a little bit now. But there are a lot of people who are still commenting in, asking me on a daily basis, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter or what have you, like, what's going on with the roster? Are they getting someone to replace this guy or that guy? Or are they done filling out this year's team? Uh, So maybe that's probably where we should start this, uh, just addressing where the roster is right now. Yeah, so we're less than one month away from game one. November 6th is the tip-off against Robert Morris, which means that Xavier has practiced 10 times. They have 20 practices remaining. And the way that the the practice schedule is... Can you get any of those back? Those practices? You cannot... Rick, you can't get any of those practices back. Just wanted to make those sure. practices are behind you, and everything in front of you is what you have to get ready for the season. You can't get okay. any of those ten practices back. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah. So, so the way that the schedule is set up, you have, I, I believe, it's forty-two days right from the beginning, uh, from before your first game. 42 days prior to your first game to fit in 30 practices. Coaches can schedule it however they wish. You saw some people started practicing right away on that 42nd day a couple of weeks ago. Xavier elected to not start until September 27th. They had been going through some full team workouts the, through their allotment uh, before that. Like you mentioned, Rick, you and I have been at that. And, and to me, it's been an incredible help. I mean, I've been around this program for years now, and it's just not it, – it's so much different being there every day being at practice, seeing all these things that, you know, you've seen that Adam has seen that, you know, everybody on the inside has seen for a while that now I've been able to be exposed to in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's been a great uh, educational experience, I would say for me and being able to just sit there, talk to you and, uh, and talk to some of the other guys. It's been great seeing everybody again. And and as far as the roster goes, um, this year's roster is set from, from my understanding is that we're not going to see any surprise commitments here in the next month uh, before the season starts. Um, but Rick, if you want to run through, I guess, the the scholarship situation, maybe from the message board, because we, we've had Logan Duncan has left the team. We've had a couple of com- to be con- t- yeah. to be completely honest with you. I don't even remember where we left it at the last podcast a month ago. So you can just I, run through with it. Yeah. And I'm not too worried about that. I'm more so just, just think of, you know, I mean, I think everybody understands the newcomers from yep. the spring, the transfer situation, what happened there. Um, then since then, late in the summer and even into the fall, they added the three European players, Gidis Namiksha, Lazar Djokovic, and Sasha Siani, Sasha being the last one, more of a true center. The first two are more forward-type players. And then since then, we saw Logan Duncombe leave the program. That just became public knowledge within the last week. Uh, Logan, of course, was the transfer from Indiana. He had previously played at Moeller in high school. And, uh, you know, in terms of Logan's situation, he basically said that he is dealing with some health issues. He's going to walk away from basketball. He plans to remain a student at Xavier. Uh, so it's not a transfer situation. It's just he's sort of he's done playing basketball, at least for the time being, as far as we know. So he's just going to be a student. Uh, but in terms of what they're doing with that roster spot, they were already two scholarships over in terms of the roster situation. So they're not like looking for someone to replace him. Also, they brought in three new front court players late in the summer and into the fall. So again, they were kind of filling out the front court already, whether Logan was going to be there or not. So it's not like they have to go find someone to replace Logan Duncombe. They're not going to. In fact, they kind of needed that scholarship back to make this roster work. So that's pretty much where things stand right now. Um, the, the roster is set for this year, I would say. I mean, never say never in this day and age when it comes to putting rosters together. But I think for the most part, I mean, it, I don't know how you could even get someone in at this point to be eligible for this year. I think we're past that point. So so you what know, you I, see right now in practice is what you're going to see on on the court this year. Yeah, I, I think I don't even want to give a hard deadline because I know I would say it and then somebody would take it and run with it and then it would turn into some kind of folklore. So I'm not even going to give a date, but whatever the deadline was that uh, you could even get somebody in to be eligible for this semester, that is passed. So the team that you have right now in front of you, yeah, it's your point, Rick, is the team that you'll see against Robert Morris. 
Um, but if you want to just kind of get in here to uh, to the question, Johnny Blade asks takes on what the ceiling of this team is. And you know, I've been sitting there at practice the last few days trying to. I, I've been thinking a lot about this because I, I remember talking to you maybe a week ago when practice was first starting and saying. You know, you look back at last year and a lot of the experience that was on the team last year, but they brought so many players back and guys that had played together. And if you look at this roster, there's a lot of experience on the roster. There's a lot of older guys just by their age, but it's not a bunch of guys that have played together. And I think that's what makes me a little more reserved on the ceiling for this year's team. Um, I also am a little more reserved in that area just because of how good I think the Big East is going to be um, and how tough it is going to be at the top. So as far as the ceiling goes, I think this is an NCAA tournament team. Um, but when you kind of get the vibe around how they're practicing right now and how all these newcomers are fitting together, I think I'll just leave it at an NCAA tournament team. I mean, I think one thing that's important to remember is like we look back on last year and act like we kind of knew what that team was headed for. But in reality, when we were at this point last year, we were talking about the limited upside of that team. We'd already seen yeah. those guys for the most part play for some of them, most of them multiple years at Xavier. And we thought, oh, we were expecting them to turn this roster over more, go out after more transfers and upgrade the talent. And so we were kind of, I wouldn't say down on last year's group, but we thought their upside was limited. We thought being on the bubble and just making the tournament last year would have been a good outcome for last year's team. Lo and behold, Sean Miller does what Sean Miller does, and he turns that team into a second weekend team, uh, a team that was ranked, a team that you know went to the Sweet 16. And so uh, that changes the, the math a little bit all of a sudden and on how we look at Sean Miller's teams, I think. And Coming into this year, last year, there were a lot of known quantities. I, I know people are saying, like, we didn't know what that team was going to be. Well, we were wrong about what that team was going to be. We thought we knew. We knew the players that were involved. This year, it's a little bit different in the sense that we think Desmond Claude is going to make a big jump. We saw him some last year. We think he's going to be really good and make a big jump. And then after that, you're asking a whole bunch of new pieces to either take a step up from a lower level or come over from another country and make an immediate impact. It's just a lot of moving parts. So I will say that this year feels way more up in the air and way more like it's anyone's guess as to what's going to happen. But I would tend to agree with you that I think the upside for this team, at least as far as I would put it right now, is top five-ish in the Big East. Like I think a top half of the Big East finish would be a really nice outcome for this team and making the tournament. And that could probably, I, I always say this, like in the Big East, when you make the tournament, sometimes that that just means you're an eight or like a seven or eight seed. It doesn't necessarily mean you're yeah. the 11 seed, you know, when you're, even if you're just getting in as the last team in from the big East, but um, I would put it somewhere in there, like, like six, seven, eight would probably be the ceiling that I would set for this team right now. If this team was to pull off anything higher than a six seed, as we sit here on October 9th, I would be, I would be very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's just so many new parts, and um, I I think there is talent on the team, but I also don't think it's an overly overwhelmingly talented group for a team that's going to compete in the Big East either. So yeah, I think I think that's pretty much the right spot for them right now. But like you said, if they end up getting anything above a five seed, five seed or better, that'll be a masterful coaching job, and then you're really looking at something special in the next year or two to come. And well, that and that, I think to your point there, Rick, is people might be sitting here listening to this and thinking, oh, no, you're coming off a three seed where you were one of the best 12 teams in the country in the March Madness. Now, all of a sudden, wait, you're taking a step back and you have 10 new faces. And what, what are we doing here? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't imagine that for as long as Sean Miller is the head coach at Xavier you're going to have another year where it's like this. There was just so much turnover where it really, this to me, this is what should have in like normal college basketball world. This is what should have happened last year. Right. But because of the NIT and because of just how bizarre the whole offseason and everything happened last year, they lucked out. And now this year is what I think we all probably in our minds would have conceptualized last year being. And now you got to get through this year and into next year. So it, it's always weird for me in this way to say that it's a rebuilding year because 
now all of a sudden it's rebuilding, but you even have guys that it's not like you're building around all freshmen that are contributing that are going to be back next year. I mean, you're looking at, you know, guys that only have, you know, transfers that might only be eligible this year that we might only see one year of. So it's, it's a very weird landscape right now, but I, I don't, I don't see this happening again um, under Sean, just because of the transition from this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the point to make is last year they kind of made a gamble when all of us were saying, hey, this group probably doesn't have it. They're just not talented enough. We saw them last year. It's basically the same group of guys coming back. They're an NIT-type group, and lo and behold, he turns them into a Sweet 16 team. So the, a lot of coaches would have come in, seen what that team had done, and been like, they're not good enough. I'm going to go get my own guys. We're going to rebuild this year and look forward to next year. They didn't do that. They said, you know what? We like these guys. It's a good group of guys. Let's play f- for something this year and and it worked out i mean I, at least i think it did i think a sweet 16 outcome is is pretty darn good especially for that group so yeah you're exactly right now this year is kind of the rebuild and it it'll make it a little bit tougher this year but i also think you know with sean miller and xavier being the big east now it's never quite a rebuild completely it's always our goal is still to make the ncaa tournament that this team very much feels like they'll have a chance to make the ncaa tournament but there are going to have to be a lot of uh a lot of things that they overcome along the way to get there. Sure. Uh, Gary asks, are Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle going to play this year? Xavier hasn't issued an official statement that they won't play, uh, but I don't think anything's changed, Rick, from your reporting a couple of weeks ago that says that the coaching staff does not expect them to play this year. Gary, you should definitely check out Musketeer Report. We've been talking about this consistently throughout uh, the last few months. And the latest thing that I reported was that we do not expect Jerome Hunter or Zach Freeman to play at all this year. And I would still say that is most likely the case. Jerome Hunter has not, nothing's been ruled either way on Jerome Hunter, period. No one has said Jerome can play basketball again. No one has said Jerome can't play basketball again. No one has said Jerome can play in January. No one has said Jerome can't play in January, like midway through this. Okay, so like nothing has been said about what Jerome is allowed to do in the future in terms of a, a deadline or what's next. He's going through different tests, like stress tests. And everything that I've heard is that he's gotten good marks through these tests so far, and everything is progressing well. So the hope is that he has a future. He will be able to play basketball again. I, I find it very hard to believe he will come back and play this year given what we know about the situation and given that, I mean, we're going to be months into the season before he's getting any types of real answers like that. Well, and, and that's the biggest thing too, is like, let's just say in a perfect hypothetical world, he got approved and passed all the tests and everything went great. And it was January 10th. I mean, at that point, you're talking about somebody that hasn't picked up a basketball at full speed in seven months, right? You got to get back to, got to get back in game shape. You got to get back to practice. You got to get back into the system. You got to acclimate yourself with 10 new players on the team. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it outside of just, yeah, let's, let's roll the ball back up because to me in the way that this is progressing, it's even, it's such a different injury than like, uh, I mean, injury is a hard way to even put it when you're, yes, when you're talking about a health at condition. It's yeah, not, no, it's yeah, a hard, it's, it's a hard issue. I mean, we, we've reported it's, that we don't have to act like yeah. we're Xavier. What, but but I'm just saying it's not like you're talking about Justin Moore who tears his Achilles and then comes back and you and you work through an injury. I mean, this is such a completely different situation that, you know, I, I just it's scary. It's hard for yeah, it's scary it is. and there's a and there's a real risk. Even if the doctors clear him, you would have to think from his vantage point, like you're taking a real risk coming back and playing just because you don't know you don't know why it happened in the first place, right? Um, so I think if you're going to take that risk, you're probably going to do it if it gives you a chance to succeed in the future and really create a future for yourself. So I don't know that coming back for the last month and a half of a season when you're out of shape and really not ready to perform is the best way for Jerome to restart his career at this point. So, but that being said, I do not think it's out of the question that he could play basketball in the future and like he'll have another year of eligibility potentially. So maybe not even at Xavier. I think I'll have more in terms of the, the Zach stuff, the Jerome stuff, their futures. I think I'll have more on the message board coming within the next several days. I'm still talking to some people and and reporting on that a little bit, but uh, but I'll make a post on the message board there. So if you're a subscriber at Musketeer Report, we'll have more information on both Zach and Jerome and their futures. But I think the big takeaway here for Gary's question is I wouldn't expect either one of those guys to play this year. All right. 
How much does Hunter's loss affect the defense and who assumes that defensive role? I think right now what I'm looking at is how they fill this role with the size that they have, right? Because when you look in the backcourt, you're looking at a bunch of smaller players. The, the guards don't have a ton of size and the physicality, but the physicality is something that has stuck out about the guards. And you look down in the front court, I I think it's just, well, they answer the question point blank. It's a huge loss in my mind defensively. Who assumes the role? I, I Do they piecemeal it together? I mean, this is such a tough question to answer at this point when we don't even know who's emerged as players that they're going to trust to put in to lineups where, yeah, we could be sitting here saying that they have uh, a team that's 13 deep, but they're not going to play 13 guys the entire season. Yeah, well, um, they definitely don't have a team that's 13 deep. And they, uh, I mean, yeah. we know who their best defenders are. Um, I, I think in terms of replacing Jerome, that's a tough situation because he's more of a forward, right? I think if you're asking the question, like you think Jerome was going to be their best defender, now who's going to be their best defender? Well, the answer is clearly Desmond Claude, I think. Like he, he is going to be their best wing defender now, but I think he's a little bit different than Jerome. He doesn't quite have that same size. So if you've got to match up with like a six, seven, four man inside, you, you know, I you don't necessarily have that Jerome type defender now for that spot. Gidas Namaksha, I think, is the best out of the forwards right now. He will probably take a lot of the minutes that would have gone to Jerome or potentially even Zach at that forward spot. But defensively, I don't think he's going to be as athletic and as talented as Jerome was on that end of the floor. Offensively, he gives you more, but defensively, not as much. So, um, yeah, it, it, will, it will definitely affect the defense, but I think you're you're going to get better at some other positions defensively. So even if you're you're missing a little bit of what Jerome gave you at the forward spot, I think at some of the other spots, you'll be better, especially in the backcourt. Yep. Kind of jumping out of order here. We got a lot of questions. I'm tr- I was trying to go in the order that made a little bit of sense, but they're coming in so fast now. We've got so many of them. We're kind of just going to have to jump around. So uh, what are your thoughts on Dalen Swain's future? Dalen Swain, I've of course, lo- a freshman. Yeah, yeah. Dalen Swain has had a great week of practice. Um, the team scrimmaged last week. They brought in some officials. Um, they try to do that every once in a while during the preseason practices just to give the guys a feel for what they have at game speed. Um, I thought in the scrimmage last week, when you and I were sitting there watching it, Rick, he had a, a, a great game, really, really nice game. He was able to stretch the floor. He was shooting the ball really well. Um, again, this is where I try not to get over my skis and get too excited about what how that translates into a game. But if you were able to channel that into a burst of minutes here or a burst of minutes there or one more here in the first half, maybe one more here in the second half, those are the kinds of things they need out of Dalen Swain right now. He's shown a lot of that. I, I have really liked what I've seen out of him in the preseason. Yeah, my thoughts on his future is it's very bright. I really like his physical tools. I mean, he's got long arms. He's athletic. He's the tallest of the wings that they have right now. And the thing that I really like that I think gives him a ton of upside is the fact that he handles the ball really well for a six seven wing who's athletic. And a lot of times you see his player archetype and you think, transition, maybe three and D type guy, but you don't think ball handler. And we've seen him do a few things. I definitely saw it more at the high school level when he was playing AAU. He kind of just spotted up on the wing a little bit more and and didn't have the ball in his hands as much. But when he played with his high school team, he played like a point guard. And that's where he really was at his best. He came to Xavier's team camp, actually uh, the junior going into his senior year that summer. And he was excellent at Xavier's team camp. That's when they really started picking up the recruitment of him again. And he was doing it off the dribble. He was making plays and, and shots uh, coming coming off screens and doing it himself. And that's what we've seen a little bit of start to creep in already. Now, you don't want to see too much of that from a freshman who's playing on the wing. You don't want him doing too much right now. But every now and then we've seen him go ahead and make a play using his ball handling ability. And I think as that starts to come out more and more, his ability to get to his spots and get where he wants to go on the offensive end is really going to give him a high upside. Now, the question is for this year, who's going to emerge out of this wing group? Because you got Cam Craft, you got Dalen Swain, and you got Reed Ducharme. And it feels like to me, one of those three are going to have a role off of the bench. They're going to need some minutes from one of them, at least one of them. The question is, who is it? Because right now, I don't know how you feel about it, Paul, but I don't see a lot of separation between those three guys. No, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And speaking of that, good time to bring this one up. 
How is Cam Craft looking? Could he be a breakout scorer for us this year? Will he even be a starter? I I don't think he'll be a breakout scorer. I don't think he'll start. But in recent days, he's shot the ball a lot better. His stroke, I mean, it looked it's smooth. He's shooting with more confidence. And I think that's the biggest thing that that we've talked so much about is how much of a different player he looked in high school than what he's looked like here at Xavier. In high school, he played with so much confidence. He would step into his shot. He if it felt like he thought he was the best player on the floor and pay, played with that confidence. And for some reason at Xavier, it just hasn't translated into that. But you started to see more and more of that. He's found himself in good spots in the court. He, his off-ball movement to put himself in good positions to be open has been good. So all that combined has led to a pretty good start to preseason practices for him. But how, again, I, I don't think he's going to be a breakout scorer or a, a starter for this team. Yeah, I think sometimes when people hear something like you just said, where, oh, he was so confident, thought he was the best player on the court all the time in high school, and he scored all these points, people think, okay, what well, what was the competition like? Was he playing in some small town and, and just dominating these kids? We're talking about the Nike EYBL, the highest level of grassroots basketball. He was one of the best scorers in the league, and so many scouts and coaches for other high major teams would see him play and go, damn, Xavier got themselves one right there. Like, that guy is, is a killer. And for whatever reason last year, partly I think because of his defense, partly because he was behind some guys. And then I'm curious about how much did his injury, because again, he was playing on an injured knee before they really knew that it was an injured knee. How much did that maybe impact his confidence? If he wasn't able to move the same way, if he didn't feel like the same guy out there, did that impact his confidence on the offensive end some? Because to your point, he just didn't look like the same guy trying to get his shots uh, being aggressive and looking for his own shots. And I'm sure it's partly being a freshman and trying to play within the system and all of that. But I'm anxious to see when we get more into this year. I mean, we're just through the first couple of weeks of practice and he's looked decent. Uh, will he kind of emerge with that same level of confidence that he had at one point as a scorer? Because I do think this team could really benefit from having another really confident shooter on that wing, even if he's just playing for a handful of minutes off the bench that could be a really important role for this group. And uh, right now I think Cam has a chance to fulfill that role, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily a favorite for it. There are minutes there for him if he earns them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dennis says, is Logan Duncan hanging out around around practices? No, he's, he's gone. I mean, he's not going to be a part of the team. He's not, he he left, he's done with basketball. So Uh, Bob says, from what you've seen, is the backcourt going to be physically strong enough for the Big East battles? How is their basketball IQ looking? I think physically strong enough, most definitely. Uh, This is a very tough. I mean, Davion McKnight is a he is a tough fullback type player who's going to get downhill and he's a good scorer, too. He's a lefty. It looks good. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so so he's all, the guy that sets over the, the tone i think for the backwards yeah. toughness when you when you say like this is gonna be a tough unit i think we all feel that way because of davion like he's the guy that makes you feel like they're going to have a tough backward quincy is a shooter he's a scorer he's a little bit bigger in terms of his overall physical size he's like six four ish probably uh with decent length but i don't think he's an exceptionally physical player and obviously trey green is very slight of stature only 5 10 probably like 155 160 pounds um, but he, I don't know if I'd say he plays with toughness, but I think like he kind of has that bulldog mentality that he's, he's very competitive. Um, but again, many, it all goes back to Davion. How many times per practice do you think you and I look at each other after something that Trey Green did and we go, oh, all right. I'd multiple, say it's three to four times a practice. Yeah, multiple times every single practice. That is for sure. I mean, he's it, been fun to I, watch. I, I know that's not the question here, but just talking about the backcourt. Trey Green has been very, very fun to watch. I'm really interested with Trey to see how his size translates defensively. Uh, and you can tell just the way the coaching staff is working with him during some of their sets, their drills, what they're going through with him. Um, you can tell that they're trying to adjust for that because they know that that's just something that naturally he's going to be at a disadvantage with. But if he's able to overcome that, if he's able to to grow through the season with that, and especially in the Big East play. Um, but but again, you look at the tests that he's going to have right out of the gate, Purdue, Houston. I mean, if he gets minutes in those ma- in those games, I've been broadcasting so many soccer games, I was just about to call it a match. I, I If he gets minutes there, 
like that's going to be that's going to be massive to me at least in my mind for his development right away because you're playing against some pretty good backcourts. Yeah. Oh well. And you ask, are they going to be physically strong enough for Big East battles? Last year's group was Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel. Yeah. Not exactly who I go to when I think of toughness for the Big East. So this group is going to be physically tougher and uh, better defensively and stronger than last year's group in the backcourt. In terms of their basketball IQ, I think this is a, an interesting topic to bring up because one of the things that I think I've been most pleasantly surprised by since practice started is the ability of Davion McKnight and Trey Green, quite honestly, to play at this really fast pace that Sean Miller wants to play. We saw them play pretty fast last year. Uh, I would call it more opportunistic than like playing full court the entire game, but still they tried to push the ball in transition when they could certainly. And he said in their season preview to the Almanac, which is uh, the preview publication put out by the field of 68, Sean Miller said he wants to play at a breakneck speed this year. So that's not going away. They're going to play really fast. And we've seen that in practice. They're flying up the court. I think Davion McKnight has settled into that system really well. I mean, you, he hasn't skipped a beat at all. He's, he's done really well uh, taking care of the basketball, not turning it over a lot, and also making good, quick decisions. Trey Green, for a freshman, asking to play fast like that, we'll see what happens when you actually get into real games. Like Maybe they'll have 25 turnovers in the first couple of games. We know they turned the ball over a lot in the Bahamas. But so far in practice... I think that's that's probably been my most pleasant surprise is the way the two point guards have handled the speed of the way they want to play now. Yeah. All right. Do you think Desharm and Swain can adequately space the floor as freshmen if Kraft does not get the role of backup wing? Kind of redundant here, but we can give another thought yeah. here. I I don't I, I don't really know if I have too much more to add there. I I I would say that between Reed and Dalen, you're probably competing for a lot of the same minutes. They're not the same player, but you're probably competing for the same types of minutes in that situation. So to say, can they space the floor as a freshman? If they're in, that's what they're going to do. We've seen Dalen, we've seen Reed um, take a lot of open threes in practice. They've, in general, been shooting the ball decently well. Probably Dalen better than Reed so far from what we've seen. But again, We've seen 10 practices and a handful of weeks of, of workouts with a bunch of days in between where you're, you're trying to get as much consistently consistency going as possible. So um, from what, what I've seen, I would say Dalen probably in a better place right now than Reed, but I, we're, we're 10 practices in. Yeah, talking about adequately spacing the floor, I think Kraft would be the favorite out of the three to do that the best. I mean, he came in with the biggest reputation as being a, a three-point threat. Those other two guys aren't necessarily known as shooters coming in. Desharm kind of has that reputation a little bit, but I think it might be a little bit more because of his complexion than anything. I mean, to me, he's kind of more J.P. Makira-ish in the sense that he's like a tough, hard-nosed playmaker as much as he is a shooter. So I think that's putting him into too much of like a box, in my opinion, in terms of his game. But one thing here that I think is worth noting is when we're talking about who's going to get the minutes out of those reserve wing guys, it might come down to what does this team need the most off of the bench? Like, are they not getting much shooting at all out of the starters? Because they didn't really in the Bahamas. And I don't know, you know, who of these guys are necessarily going to step up and make a bunch more shots than they have previously in their careers. So if that's the case, then maybe what you need out of that wing reserve role as much as anything is a shooter. But it's also possible that Sean Miller is Sean Miller and if he's bringing a freshman or a sophomore, whatever, an underclassman wing off the bench for a few minutes a game, he may just want them to not screw up on the defensive end as much as anything. So then it's like, who is the best defender out of that group? I don't think we have the answer to that question just yet. So those are the things that I think are going to be really key over the next few weeks as we look at those backup wing guys is like, what role does this team need? Maybe more than anything. And and is someone on this out of that group or those three willing to step up and provide what they need? Let me find another question here for you, Paul. Well, we got we got some good ones here. Please give us your thoughts on the Euros from what you've seen at practice and your other general practice thoughts. All right, let's start with the Euros because I think there's a lot to go through here. Um, Gitas Namiksha has, first of all, let's let's back up even farther. If you're just listening to this to get caught up on the season, the three Euro transfers, Gitas Namiksha, Lazar Djokovic, even though they all call him Laser, it is Lazar. And uh, Sasha Siani, 
Um, I've been told Tom Iser came up to me the other day and said that they corrected him. It, it might not actually be Siani, but who knows? We'll see how how much they get that right on the TV broadcast. But uh, between Sasha Eisner. Lazar, yeah, yeah, Andy Baum, Tim Eisner, yeah. but, <laughs> between Sasha Lazar and uh, Gitas, Gitas is to me a pretty clear uh, number one there as far as the Euros go with production, with experience. Uh, he, he knows where to be. He's a very talented player. I think what he lacks in speed and, and the ability to, um, I, 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 he's just not very, uh, he's not very quick, right? It, it, when we were talking about what he brings defensively and, and could he slot down, take some of those minutes like Jerome had defensively. He's not the quickest guy on the floor, um, but he's got some size. He's got a nice looking shot. Um, he's skilled. He's talented. I really, really like what Gidis is going to bring immediately to this team. And then obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about Lazar Djokovic um, and, and what he brings to the table maybe in the future. I, I don't know if I've seen enough out of him, though, to say he's going to make some kind of a huge impact this year or at least yes. right away. So with Gidis, I think you said it perfectly. He's just the most ready to play. His experience and his toughness and just having been through it. I mean, he played uh, well. He went to college over in Lithuania, played on professional club teams over in Lithuania. He's played with grown men. He's won championships over there. You can just see that in the way that he approaches everything. He's just more ready, has a higher IQ than, than the other two. Um, I, he'll help right away. I'd, I'd expect him to be a starter. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. With Lazar, he has a ton of tools. And when you watch him, he's fun to watch because he used to be more of like a guard type player. Now he's 6'10". He's the tallest player on the team. I think that's pretty clear when you're at practice. I mean, he's got at least like an inch on Abu and uh, Sasha and whoever else is in there at the center position. So Lazar is the tallest player on the team. He moves the best out of the bigs in terms of his quickness. He has a nice first step. He gets up off the floor when he dunks and finishes. He can shoot from three-point range. Little inconsistent, a little up and down with his three-point shot so far, certainly. But he has shown the ability to shoot that that outside shot. He can make a little bit of plays off the dribble as well. He just has a lot to work with. The thing is, because he has a lot to work with, sometimes he tries to do a little bit too much, and he gets caught up doing that. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him is like, can he figure out what translates right away at this level? How quickly can he do that? How quickly can he be an efficient player? At this level, because that may tell us how much he can help you right away this season. Long term, no doubt. Lazar Djokovic is going to be a player at Xavier. He's going to help, assuming he stays multiple years. This year, that's kind of what I'm looking at most is can he be a little bit more efficient and become a more consistent player that makes the right play more often as opposed to just flashing his abilities. Then I, I think the third one is Sasha Siani, clearly third out of the three European players, um, a freshman big man. I think he'll probably have it's it's going to take some time for him to work his way up in that rotation, I think. So it's going to it'll be interesting to see where he's at at the beginning of the season, if he's getting minutes at all or if he's really behind in the pecking order. Yep. All right. right. Who attempts more threes per game, Green and Oliveri or the rest of the team combined? I'm going to say the rest of the team combined just because I don't know how many minutes Green's going to get initially but i I disagree totally because oliveri is going to have all the attempts regardless so he's oliveri personally will probably have more attempts than the rest of the team combined if you add trey green in there i think this is a no doubter for green and oliveri personally really okay i mean look at what happened in the bahamas would they shoot like two threes in the first half of that that first game Um, that's true oliveri is going to shoot a bunch of them but uh he's going to make a bunch of them too He's, he's a heck of a shooter. I'm interested to see how much Davion McKnight and Desmond Claude shoot the three this year. Because I guess that was more, I guess that was, sorry, not to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're, I was just going to say, Davion wasn't a guy who shot the three much at all. That He's more of a mid-range guy, more of a get fouled guy when he was at Western Kentucky. Is like is he going to change his game a lot and shoot more threes because this team doesn't have as many shooters? Because that's not exactly the way that Xavier plays. So I expect him to still drive hard, get to get into the paint a lot, make plays and get fouled a lot. And Desmond Claude, he didn't have a huge role in last year's team, especially on the offense, man. That's not what they were asking him to do. But I think we saw that he's much more of a driver and a playmaker, kind of similar to Colby Jones, than he is a three-point shooter. So I just, I don't know that those guys are going to change their game significantly. Like maybe they'll shoot like somewhere between 40 and 63s-ish this year, but I can't see them shooting 
a whole lot more than that. And so, I mean, Quincy Oliveri could attempt over 200 by himself, I think. Yeah, I, I guess that's more so where I was coming from, where if you space the floor and you get Dez and Davion open, they seem like they've been taking those shots enough that maybe it's getting there. But I guess attempts, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do in games because I will agree with you. In practices, Davion McKnight and Desmond Claude have both been shooting the ball well off the dribble from three yeah. and shooting it more than I would expect during live action segments. So I'm curious to see if that becomes more of a thing when they're playing live games just because they need someone to step up. In this day and age, if you're playing offense, you got to be taking threes. I mean, pretty much every yeah. offense is designed to do that to some extent. So I know Xavier likes to, to get the ball inside, get to the free throw line as much as possible, and they're still going to do that. But someone's got to take some threes. And I don't think it's just going to be Quincy. So it'll be interesting to see if it comes from some of those other starters or if they have to go to the bench a bit more for their outside shooting. Saw Paul mention that Friday's event is not being called Musketeer <laughs> Musketeer Madness this year because it's not on Parents Weekend. Why does that matter? I have no idea. Um, so I threw that initial kind of thought out there a few weeks ago just because of uh, some things that I had talked about. So people kept talking about it, kept asking questions. So finally, I just went to the marketing department and asked the question when I was over there the other day. Um, and I, I shot a text the other night when we were, when I was on the thread. And uh, I, I think from what I understand, that's the answer I got. I don't know why. And I'm, a, they said that it'll probably go back to Musketeer Madness next year. Whether that actually happens, who's still there from the marketing department that it turns over and, you know, it, how that all works, who knows? My thought on this was they, they're scaling it back a little bit this year, right? Like they're, there's just the scrimmage, no dunk contest, yeah, or, they, contest or any of that. They're, yeah, they're going to come. So I, I, uh, I'll be there. I'm emceeing it. it. It's going to be a much different type of event than it has been from the sense of, like you said, no slam dunk contest, no three-point contest. The women's team will be introduced. They'll scrimmage. The men's team will be introduced. They'll scrimmage. I believe the cheerleaders will be there too. I mean, they it's basically all from the press releases. I know as much as you all know about what it's going to look like. Um, I haven't been given the script or anything like that yet. But if you do want to see the team, I think this is one important note because I know we, you know, we've kind of been joking about the name and the Musketeer tip-off versus Musketeer Madness. What I was told was that next year it'll go back to being Musketeer Madness, um, assuming they stick to that plan. This year it is not. It's not on Parents Weekend. The one thing I will say is uh, that I do think is is actually relevant with this is uh, there's no public exhibition this year. They're not playing Kentucky Wesleyan with the doors open this year. They're playing Kent State. They're playing Notre Dame behind closed doors in their secret scrimmages. Those you can't watch. So if you want to see this year's team before November 6th against Robert Morris, you got to be there on Friday night at, at Musketeer or at uh what are we calling this thing? Musketeer, Musketeer tip, off? tip off. Yeah, sure. You got to be there on Friday night to see this team. If you want to see them before opening night. Yeah. And I, I and, just, think, and, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think because they were scaling it back, they, it was a branding thing where like, they didn't want people to have the same expectations that they do for Musketeer Madness. That was what I took away from it was, they just wanted to make it clear that, hey, it's going to be a little bit different this year. Yeah. Did they need to do that? I don't know. Who really cares? That'll be the last time I speak on it. Uh, and, and the one other thing, just because I see this coming in, and then we can leave Friday's event in, in uh, the rear view here. But will there be any way to watch the scrimmage? Not to my knowledge. Um, I've been asking for years to be able to broadcast the exhibition, and I've gotten told no every single year. Um, but this year, it's not an exhibition. It's just a scrimmage that, I mean... I. Do they even? I don't even know because I've brought. Generally, it's on a Friday night, and this is the first year in like six years that I haven't had a high school football game to broadcast, and I'll actually be able to be there. Do they even play a full forty minutes, or how does it work, Rick? No, I think they usually do like a half. I think they usually play like that's, twenty minutes. That's I what believe. I thought. Okay, or like two ten minute right. things. I don't know. Yeah. See you all there though Friday. Seriously, like kind of joking aside, like I am excited to see all of you again and, and be back in Centos and have the fans there. So if you're going to be there, say hey. It'll be it'll be fun. This is a good question. From Nick Kirby, my guy. Does Xavier finish with a higher rank in offensive efficiency or defensive efficiency this year? Oh, that is a good question. Rick, you go first this time. So I'm going philosophical with this one. I think with this new style of play that Sean Miller has brought to Xavier, even though he has the reputation of being a defensive-minded coach and he's still going to take that very seriously and they'll always be tough defensively, I think they're all in on this playing fast and optimizing the offense as much as possible. 
And I also think it's a major advantage. I don't think other teams have quite caught up to playing fast and drawing fouls and putting teams constantly in transition defense is a huge advantage in college basketball. I don't think another team, other teams do it enough. And I think because of that, Xavier is going to be a top team offensively almost every year under Sean Miller now going forward. Yeah, so in the last 10 years since 2013, Sean has only had one team finish outside of the top 35 offensively. That was in 2019 at Arizona. That was the really down year. Um, they were 153rd. Outside of that, top 35 and mostly in the top 20. Defensively, I mean, they're always good, but even still, you look at this, they were the number one defensive team back in 2014. Number one defensively, 20th offensively. They were number three. This is Arizona, of course. Third defensively, seventh offensively in 2015. Other than that, you're looking at you know mid-20s. You're looking at 29, uh, 29, 83, 63, 59, 64. I mean, my answer here is offensive efficiency just simply because they're going to get up and down the floor. And the one thing that you keep hearing out of this coaching staff is you're going to be conditioned you're going to run fast. You're going to play fast. You're going to get up. That's exactly the screen I'm looking at right now. You're going to get up and down the floor. So if you look at the adjusted O and adjusted D, that's what we're talking about in the last 10 years, those columns. I mean, it's hard for me to answer this any other way besides that they're going to finish with a better offensive efficiency this year. Yeah. Now, that being said, I get why this is a question that is coming up because it would seem that this team is going to be not nearly as skilled as last year's group, but hopefully tougher, maybe a little bit more athletics, especially in the backcourt, so maybe better defensively. I do think that's the case, but I still think just the way they play and the way Sean Miller is running this offense, they're going to be ranked higher in offensive efficiency than they will defensive efficiency. Yep. And to uh, to Jimmy's point, um, 2009 was the only year that the defense was ranked better than the offense, uh, at least during his time at Xavier. Brian asks, curious your thoughts on Sean Miller's recruiting in general. Do you think he'll continue to focus on four-star guys or are there possible five-star guys he can successfully land? I realize this is hard to predict, but curious Miller has an approach or just get the best guys he can get that fit his system. Rick, this is much more an answer to you than to me. I don't know that there's a focus on four star guys, first of all. Like, that's, I think looking at this year, we've completely had everything changed about how Xavier is going to build rosters. So it starts with my opinion, what they're going to do. I shouldn't just say my opinion. From what I've heard and kind of me reading into it a little bit more, I think the goal now is to try to hit more home runs in recruiting when it comes to domestic prospects that are in high school here in the USA. That means if uh, not necessarily getting five stars, but it means the the guys that they really want, the top four stars or the guys that they think are impact players, whether that be because they have huge potential down the line or because they're ready to play at a high level in the Big East right away and they are a five star. They're going to swing for those guys as much as possible and probably less often reach for the backup the backup recruit when they don't get the Bishop Boswell combo guard that they really liked. They thought he was a guy that could really help them. They're not just going to grab another guy at his position because we were looking for that position. Right. So I think that's, that's where we start with that is that there's going to be more. What's funny. What, go ahead, Paul. What's going on? What's going on? I'm I sorry. Focus. I just, I just got a notification. Coop, Coop, <laughs> Coop just derailed the podcast with what he just tweeted at me three minutes ago. I'm sorry. What do we, let's share it. Share it. What do we got? I, I can't. I can't. It's just a meme of, of my internet going out. I'm sorry. All right. All right. I, all right. I, I, I can't, I can't pull it up. Go, go ahead. Back to your thought. All right. So I think that the biggest thing with the, with the, domestic recruits is they're going to swing for the fences more, probably reach less. I think the transfer portal is going to play a huge role every single year in terms of both finding important pieces like a Davion McKnight, who's going to be an instant impact in a major part of your team, but also finding the role guy that you might need. Uh, like this year, it could be an Abu Usman. He may be a, a more of a role player than your, your typical transfer, your big name transfer. Um, and then also, a huge part of the recruiting going forward is going to be international guys. That's pretty obvious. They added three this year. They they want to make this a major part of the recruiting going forward. They feel like they have an advantage there where they spend more time and more energy 
recruiting those players than other colleges do. And so there are some diamonds in the rough and, and players who are underscouted that they can get an advantage with. So I think that's kind of the recruiting strategy going forward. I don't think there's really any four-star, five-star strategy going on there, but I do think they'll probably reach less on guys that they are just getting because they feel they need to fill that position. Uh, any word on if we get another Sean Miller mic'd up game this year? And Paul, any plans on using dump truck wallpaper to decorate those walls with? Uh, first off, the wallpaper, I'm going to do something back here. If I'm going to be sitting here all season um, and doing the podcast and the rebound rundown and whatever, I don't know if the rebound rundown is going to have a video uh, element to it this year, but if it ever does, I got to do something because this is my little space and I got nothing here. I got Skyline over there. I got some decals over there, but I got nothing here. Is, the season the assist spot. will come fast and furious from the Roll Blob podcast if you put dump trucks up there. <laughs> uh, anywhere an if we get another, yeah, any word if we get another Sean Miller mic'd up game. Um, you and I had that conversation um, with the Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman last week, um, and we kind of talked a little bit about that. Uh, where you know we kind of asked her how the, the conference is. We like that. Do we see more of it? Um, I. It's going to be I, I, Providence St. John's happen. this year. It's going to be Providence would, St. John's this year. That they would be it, my guess. They do it to whoever the new coaches are because they don't know they're allowed to say no yet. That's why Sean Miller was on it last year because he was new in the conference and he was just like, I, I guess this is what we do. Yeah, sure. But now and, after and, they know, they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And and I think I mentioned this last year, but um, and this is not a flex. This is just me pointing this out. But the producer that does this, um, I, I'm, I know the producer very well that does those mic'd up games. And the steps that they have to go through to get these coaches to agree with to do that and show them, hey, we build your trust. This is how we do it. We're not going to show anything that, you know, compromises your program as far as, you know, we're not we're going to go in the huddle, but we might not show the whiteboard, you know, whatever it might be that these coaches, you know, they have to earn the trust and they do that. And Fox uses the best of the best with their uh, production to put those on, um, but they're not going to go back to doing the same coaches over and over there. They want to spread the wealth. They want to get some of the newer guys. They want to do that. Now, Rick Patino, does he agree to do that? That would be fantastic if he did. I, th- I think he'll do it. I, th- I, th- I expect to be Kim English, Rick Patino this year on the all access game. It would be fantastic. Uh, Jimmy says having to fill holes on the current roster with free and Hunter hurt us in 24 recruiting. I know everyone is like, so worried. That's not the case. I mean, that's not how the staff feels. They wanted Gitas Namiksha. That was not a replacement guy. They were trying to get him or a player at his position. If you think about David Jones that went to Memphis, they were recruiting a forward before they even knew about Hunter or Fremantle not being available this year. Then, in addition, when they they filled those, they were also already looking at Lazar and Sasha. And the fact that they had the opening and were able to get them right now, those are guys they wanted. So I don't like they're not. They're not looking at 24 as, oh, we wanted some of the forwards in that class more than the guys they got. No, they they got the guys they wanted. Now, it may turn out to not work the way they wanted, but th- it didn't hurt them in 24 recruiting. That's not how they see it. That's not that's not an accurate depiction of what's going on in the 2024 class. Doug Tift, last year, Sule, Colby, and AK all averaged over 30 minutes per game, leaving 20 for Dez. If I set the plus-minus for Davion, Quincy, and Dez at 90 – and 30 minutes for the bench, which side are you taking? Doug, we don't do public math. Why do, why do your questions Holy have to cow, be so complicated? What? I'm like, yeah, this is like being back here? in junior year of high school. I don't know what this means. Can we yeah, can we talk I, through this one? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're saying, well, Davion, Quincy, and Des each average 30 minutes. Is that all we're saying? I think that's I mean, all if, we're saying, If right? that's the question, I, my answer is yes. Yeah, I I think that's what we're saying. Is, is that Davion how we just want to answer this question? Does all each play 30 minutes a game? Hard yes. Did Doug just want to make it feel like he was smarter than us? Because he did this that. Is, he just this did is what that. Doug does constantly in our texts, in our in our well, group messages. Do, do you want to do you want to ask or do you want to go back to what Doug texted us earlier today? Do you want to get to those too? He texted us a couple of questions. Do you have or it we, available? Yeah, I do. I can pull up another one. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Uh so these are these are two more from Doug, and I think they're they're good questions here. So let, let's get to them. The common theme among every guy Sean brought in recently is that they led their previous team in free throw late, free throw rate, and in some cases were among the league conference leaders. I know there are no refs, no hard fouls on teammates, uh, etc. Um, but is there any way that this is showing up in practice? Like, is McKnight or Nemo noticeably drawing a lot of contact in the lane? 
or is that something you won't notice until games? Um, and therefore, it's kind of harder to get a full sense of that. And what and what is the square root of one thousand two hundred and forty-seven? Are I, these guys drawing fouls in practice, Rick? Yes, yes, they are. But it's funny. Last year made me realize that that's something that you won't always pick up on, like. The success the offense is going to have drawing fouls isn't always easy to see in practice, but it took me last year to figure that out. So last year I was sitting there thinking like, I don't know if this Sule Boom guy has it. He's so small and so skinny. And um, I wasn't adding up how many damn times that dude was getting fouled every day in practice, right? And it turned out that was an awful lot. And that really changed the way people were able to guard him and how often he was able to get to the free throw line and up his point totals and obviously shot the ball really well from three as well. But I say all that to say, Yes, this group is getting fouled, and this year I realize it, and I realize that that's going to work within the offense and it's going to translate to the game. So Davion gets fouled a lot. Desmond gets fouled a lot. Gidis, um, I don't know if I don't know if I've noticed him getting fouled a lot, but he does have kind of like a hard-nosed approach. He's willing to mix it up in the paint, and he definitely rebounds really well. Um, I think the big men, just in general, the way they play within this offense, which is those quick duck-ins, the rim running in transition and trying to look right away to them, the high-low actions that we've talked a little bit with some of the video stuff we've done on Musketeer Report, those actions and, and those methods of playing, I think will lead to the big guys getting to the free throw line. Now, that might be what they do best this year. I don't know if they have a lot of offensive skill outside of that, but I do think they're big, physical, athletic guys that can get to the free throw line. Problem is they'll have to make their free throws once they're there. That's yeah, true. Uh, okay. And the second question here, now that you've gone through the process with Nemo Lazar, Oh, Nemo, I should say, if you're not on the message board, Gidis Namikshaw, Shaw, they're, the guys are calling him Nemo. Um, so Nemo Lazar and Siani of watching, uh, bootleg clips and projecting toward college basketball, and then actually seeing how your analysis translated to the ways guys looked on the court. Is there anything for you as a commentator to learn for the next time Xavier lands a guy from that part of the world? Anything like rebounding that has proven to translate well? Anything like athleticism comparable to peers that's tougher to pinpoint? Uh, you and I had a conversation about this a couple of days ago at practice, and you shared a few interesting things with me that that this question brings up. Yeah, I think the athleticism part of it is the one that's the hardest to see. And it, it fools you. Because if everybody around you is a bad athlete, I'm not going to notice that you're not a good athlete as much, right? And people like everyone on the message board loves doing this. Whenever we put up a, a high school clip of a prospect, everyone loves pointing out, oh, he's playing against a bunch of guys from the GCL, but he's just six foot white guys. Who cares? Like anyone could do that, right? Like that's always the thing that every scout on their couch loves to point out. So I know everyone at home thinks that they would see this right away. But I'm telling you, like the higher levels of FIBA basketball and the European championships, a lot of that stuff looked like pretty quality basketball. But there were definitely some games where I realized, like Sasha Stiani, for instance, I thought he moved a little bit better than he does. He's a little bit slower footed, doesn't really get off the floor very well. And it didn't stand out as much on film because I think some of the guys around him that he's playing against and with weren't very athletic either. So those are probably that's probably the thing that stands out the most to me about doing these scouts is you really, really got to do a good job of looking at how they move. How do they run up and down the floor? How do they move laterally? How do they jump? I mean, things we know about scouting prospects, but it just it's easier to get fooled with those videos. And it's always easier to get fooled with only video. If you never see the guy in person, it's always going to be harder to have a real feel for how big, how strong, how tough, how fast they are. Those are just things you, you'd rather see in person if you can. But um, aside from that, I, I think that, you know, he mentioned rebounding specifically. I think that's a great example. We always say rebounding is something that translates at all levels of the game. I think this is another good example. Like we saw on film, Gidas doesn't necessarily look the part. He's not like a big strapping guy. He's not a freak athlete or anything like that. But he does rebound the heck out of the ball as a, as a perimeter forward, a face-up forward. He's come to Xavier, and he's been doing that exact same thing in practice. He really rebounds the ball well despite playing a lot on the perimeter. So those are probably the main things. I mean, Doug kind of called it out in his in his question, but um, it, it's definitely been a new experience. And I think the bigger thing for me is just seeing how different the the process of the recruitment is. You know, it's a, it's a lot more of like, 
you might be dealing with an agent, uh, but it's more transactional and not nearly as much as like the kids taking multiple visits and we're going through the whole, is he or is he not going to, and he's going to post pictures on his Instagram of it. We're waiting for him to do a video edit before we get final word. Like these things are much kind of, we don't know about them until the final days of the recruitment because Xavier wants the name quiet. And then once it's on us, it's like he might announce Wednesday. And sometimes they don't even announce. You just find out, yeah, he's committed, and then you put it out there yourself. So it's definitely been different covering it from that perspective. Um, any updates on Xavier football? No. No. Total right. pause button on that one. How about the front court? Going to be strong enough physically? Bob's really concerned about the strength of, of the team. Uh, he's. We need to get Andy Kettler on a podcast to talk about the <laughs> weightlifting they've been doing, apparently. I think they will be Bob. I think they're, I think they're, uh, they'll all be physically strong. They lift a lot of weights. Um, how good of a free throw shooting ca- can this team be? I think they'll get there a lot. Um, in terms of percent- percentages, I guess we'd have to go back. I don't, Abu, I don't think is a great free throw shooter in terms of percentage. Um, they practice it a lot. Nobody can pra- complain that work. they don't practice. Stripe, stripe work. work. Uh, Kashi Enze is a guy who's going to need to work on his free throw shooting because he'll get fouled a lot. Um, but I think like Desmond, Davion, Quincy, those guys will get fouled a lot and they shoot it well from the free throw line. Which, by the way, Jim there, I believe the the manager at Dilly Bistro, they just announced the Sean Miller uh, coaches show schedule. Um, so appreciate you watching, Jim. Bob, is Cap X physically strong enough to be a podcaster in the Big East? No, I'm just kidding. He said, can we expect a CapEx <laughs> guest interview appearance this season? Will it need to be after 10 p.m. when the kids are all in bed? Of course, Cap will be uh, – the Cap's got his own enterprise going with his own podcasts, but we we will hopefully have him on here multiple times. And, uh, yeah, it's always an FCC violation when he's involved. So, Doc Rock, how good will Georgetown be? Boy, isn't that the question. Yeah, it's a good question. Boy, isn't, boy, isn't that the question, Doc. Yeah, I uh, – I don't know. I what? When you think of the Big East, I mean, you're you're I'm thinking of the not. top. I, I just don't think they're going to be good. I'm, they're bringing some guys back, but I I just don't think. I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to be good. It look, I I don't know. I don't. I think this is. I think they know it, and I've. I think Ed Cooley probably knows they're not going to be great this year. I just think it's going to uh, take more time than that. I know you can change around a team pretty quickly in today's day and age, but I think it's going to take more than one year. And this this is a tough year in the Big East, too. That's the thing. Finishing the top half of the Big East is going to be tough. Do we expect any new jerseys this year? Mario mentioned Powder Blue at one point on Twitter. I have not heard any word about new jerseys uh, for this season. So... Um, yeah, I don't I don't think they're getting new jerseys this year. I mean, I, I don't know about the alternate stuff. They occasionally do that, but... uh. That's not usually publicized. I can't. We had Mario on, and he told us what the deal was with the current Nike contract. I don't think it was up yet. I think they had another year or two left with those jerseys. Yeah. Oh, this was from the beginning. Uh, is yep. Usman not being able to separate himself in practices, uh, battling for the center spot, more of a statement of how good the freshmen are or how unimpressive Abu has been? You know, one name we we've been on here for over an hour and haven't said one single word about Kashi Enze. I think he's yeah, had no. some nice practices. Yeah, I think that's where it really comes in. If I'm being real honest about those three centers right now, I mean, with Sasha, you just wanted to give him more time. And st- I still do. I mean, he's everything's brand new to him. You're sometimes wondering, like, does he even understand what he's being asked to do right now? Just from a language barrier standpoint, right? Like, they're throwing all these new things at him. He just joined the team. He just got into classes a month late. Everything's so new to that guy. I just feel like his head's swimming a little bit. So I want to give him a little bit more time than to say this is where he's at on the depth chart right now. But if we're being real honest, like today, it's pretty clearly Kashi or Abu as your best center. And I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I'd probably like Abu to more clearly be the better player because he has more experience. He's been around. You would hope you could rely on his experience a little bit more. But Kashi has been good. And that's making it a, a tough call right now. I'd say I don't see a lot of separation between those two. And it's a, it's for both reasons. Abu hasn't, hasn't been overwhelmingly impressive during practice and Kashi has really had some great moments for a freshman his his energy and athleticism is just a lot I mean it it really plays well at this level so um, if you're not going to absolutely bring it every second you're going up against Kashi then he's probably going to stand out yep uh drum hunter fan club asks tougher opponent Purdue or Houston 
Uh, I would say Purdue right now. Uh, I know Houston. I, I got to do a little bit more reading on Houston, um, but I just it's hard for me to say it would be tougher than Purdue. Well, Houston lost a lot from last year, including yeah. multiple NBA guys. Now, they have a good team coming back, and Kelvin Sampson has figured it out year after year after year for what? going on almost a decade now it feels like i don't know how long it, it's been like well they brought in probably. lj they brought in lj crier from baylor uh here i just pulled him pulled him up uh oh man yeah oh my god yeah i didn't realize all of that that they lost Jarris walker marcus sasser i knew they lost sasser and, and walker but tremont mark reggie chain oh my yeah yeah uh so it's a new I mean, team it's, i mean it's but but yeah again they've been good almost every year under him for however many years now now it's not the AAC. It's going to be the Big 12, but that doesn't make any difference for Xavier's purposes. They're still going to have to play Houston. So um, yep. I, I think Purdue's the tougher game, but Houston is never easy, especially with that style of play. They're just so tough and athletic. Yep. Um, Paul, going to be the MC at games oh. again this year. I will. Nothing will change on that end. I will be the MC. I'm getting my arm warmed up for the Joseph Auto Group ball toss every day. Uh, Tim says maybe a quick update on the TV contract that comes up for renewal after next year. First of all, Tim, there's no need to make it quick. What you should do is you should go over to musketeerreport.com right now and read a whole one-on-one Q and a I did with Val Ackerman and she addressed this very subject, but, um, it, to give you a quick update on it, I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to be working on something. She said they hadn't started those talks yet, but she also mentioned multiple times how great of partners they are how the Big East is open to joining anything they want to do in the future, whether it be a new postseason tournament in a couple of years uh, that doesn't even start to like 2026, potentially if it starts at all. So like they're already making future plans together. I think that's a pretty good sign that uh, that TV contract is going to get re-upped. I think we're good on questions here. I don't see anything else worth answering. Uh, Paul, do you have any other comments now after two weeks of practices, any thoughts, something that we didn't get to? Something that you want to bring up? Um, I I think you know Jimmy asks what what do we project for non conference and conference records? We're not going to get into that now. Rick and I have our whole uh, our our season preview where we do that and we go through every game and go through the schedule. We'll do that right before the season starts. So look for that early November. Um, but I I don't think there's anything really that sticks out that we haven't talked about. I just look at this team, Rick, and I see a lot of potential. Um, I, I can see where you're sitting here as a fan on October 9th and you look at this team and you say, win the shootout and make the tournament and that's a successful year. And I think to a large portion of this fan base, they would say that that's probably a successful year for this team this year. But my biggest question mark with this team is what is going to happen to a bunch of guys that haven't played together that you're starting to see mesh better in practice. You're, they get along well. That they're, they're, they're starting to mesh better. This is a group that clearly enjoys playing with each other. They play with a lot of energy. The ball, as the coaches always say, the ball has life. It moves. Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, it'll be a fun group to watch. There'll be a lot of speed bumps in the beginning. Um, I don't think it should go underrated what the team has to go out and do in Las Vegas too. I think going out West and being challenged in a couple of late night games and having to, you know, do that in in, uh, two games in three days uh, against high major opponents. I think that's going to be a a really big deal for this team going forward. Um, You know, I, I just look at this group right now after 10 practices with 20 practices left, Rick, you can't get those 10 practices back. That's right. And just 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 the way that this group is built right now, there is optimism there. But it's a different kind of optimism than it was last year where where like we started the show where we knew what you had. It's just such a different scheme. You knew what you had last year, but you weren't sure what you're going to get out of them. Now we don't know what we really have. And you're not really sure at all what they're going to bring to the table. Yeah, Last year's group had a new system thrown at them. They had to figure out Sean's new system and new way of playing. But all the other stuff, they had figured out. They were good college basketball players who had a chip on their shoulder, who wanted to prove everybody wrong, who wanted to have a different experience in their final year together. And they really showed that from day one when they came together. Like 
it, it, there was never a time where they had to be like told to, to practice harder or uh, have the right amount of intensity or to go about drills the right way or any of the typical stuff that you have at the beginning of the season. Last year's team was on all of that stuff. They were like pros at the college level in terms of their approach and the way they carried themselves. This year's group, it's just a totally different feeling because you don't have all those returning guys that have been doing it for so long. It's like some guys are making a jump to a new way of doing things and just everything's a little bit harder. Some guys are coming over from overseas and they're, there's literally a language barrier and they're having to figure all that stuff out. There's just so much to figure out right now. And I feel like because of that, they're just a little farther back than they would typically be at this time of year. There's still more teaching and learning and install and walking through things right now than they typically would have. But that's going to happen when you add a guy to your team in September. I'm not just, that's natural. You got to get him up to speed. So there's going to have to be more teaching and learning going on. Um, And I think that's the case with this group. Paul, thank you. All of you guys, seriously, thank you. Thanks for sticking with us tonight after we had the initial uh, technical difficulties uh, with Paul's electric situation. And just in general, I mean, last spring, I told a lot of you guys that, hey, I'm I'm done working at the news station now. It's just college basketball for me. So I'm doing the Xavier thing full time and also broadcasting uh, NKU games. But I, I just really appreciate all of you guys that have stepped up and told your friends about getting a subscription to Musketeer Report or signed up for a subscription yourself if you weren't already a member. Uh, I mean, you're you're quite literally putting food on our table and and paying for diapers right now and all those types of things. And it, it really means a lot to my family. So thank you guys for doing that. And uh, thank you for hanging with us tonight, even though this is like a marathon. We said we were going to start at 8 and it's now... 1030, but we got through it. So <laughs> thanks for all the questions. We kept going for an hour. Paul, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep doing this. We'll keep staying at practice each and every day and, and reporting yep. back to the people. And, and we'll do maybe a few more of these Q and A's as we get closer to the season. Yeah. Less than, uh, less than a month away. See you at practice tomorrow, Rick.